Welcome to the Wiser Wealth Management Roundtable. We believe the best financial advice should always be conflict-free. I'm your host, Casey Smith, guiding you to financial freedom are my co-hosts, Brad Lyons and Matthews Barnett. Hello. Hi, Casey. How's it going? It's going good. This podcast episode's about uh, the markets, and we're hitting all-time highs, and I just came back from a little airplane trip. Walk through pretty much an empty, three empty airports between uh, here, Detroit, and uh, Harrisburg. Most of the restaurants boarded up. It's kind of surreal when you when you kind of leave your your little triangle of life. You go somewhere else, and you're like, man, this is crazy. We had a little extra time on the on the trip. It went down to uh, Gettysburg, but the museum was closed. <laughs> you know, you you picture just. Tons of people walking through all that, doing the visitation, and we parked in parking lot one, and like two and three were empty. But yet, the stocks are at all time highs, and you kind of have to pinch yourself and go, "Man, why? Why is the stock market doing so well?" Yet, when I walk around, there's so many businesses that are just completely shut down. It feels like a juxtaposition between what's happening in society and the daily economy, and what's happening in the stock markets right now. I guess people uh, often call that Wall Street versus Main Street. What's really happening on Main Street versus what's happening in Wall Street? I don't know if it's easily explainable, but I, I think it's something that we we can certainly share with people and help them understand why there seems to be a disconnect right now. First of all, I mean the stock market doesn't react to what's happening today necessarily. It's reacting to where it thinks it's going to be twelve to eighteen yeah, months. Exactly. Right? Yes. It's a futures discount marketplace. Well, that's why they say the the stock market actually recovers six months before the economy. So the GDP numbers and unemployment are, are backward looking, and stock markets forward looking. So maybe maybe it's a sign of things that come in the future that the uh, economy could turn around. You obviously can't tell it right now, like you mentioned in the uh, the stock market. February nineteenth, March twenty third, and August eighteenth have been some important days. February nineteenth was the previous high of the stock market. March 23rd was our, our low, where the market was down over 34%. This week, August 18th, we re-hit the new highs, and that was the third fastest rally to recoup all those losses behind 1982, which took three months, and 1990, which took four months. But it was actually the largest 100-day rally at 54%. So that was a, we had the shortest bear market and one of the fastest bull markets in history, all in a short time span. I think it's important to know too, the economy was on great footing prior to all, all the COVID-19 stuff. So that certainly helped. If we had been in a weaker position, it would have been much worse. It's a big rebound. I think that kind of takes us to our, our next point is that there's actually some companies or industries that are really, I, I don't want to say benefiting, they are just positioned to transition very well. Household names like Amazon and, and Apple and Microsoft, right? They even target position themselves very well to be available for home shoppers or have the essentials that we were all looking for. Right. It's the larger companies in this economy that have been able to take advantage through the resources that they have to shift their supply and demand from stores, for example, to online shopping were available to even, you know, order online and pick up at the store. Being able to offer your products and services over a variety of mechanisms now has really helped out these companies. And they've been able to take advantage of it and take market share from other companies that weren't able to react. In the heat of it, where we all had to stay home for a little bit, I 
was still guilty of going to Home Depot on a Saturday morning to finish all those little items that I could normally do because we had kids sports and things like that. And I think the Home Depot numbers came out a few days ago and I was like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew these were going to be big numbers. <laughs> they they actually absolutely killed it. Even though they had partial uh, lines, you know, you, you had to queue up and, and, and do all that. But I stood there in line and I saw people coming out, not with like light bulbs. I mean, they had like flooring. <laughs> you know, with the number of people staying home today, they're looking around their, right. their houses and saying, I need to fix things around here. They were, they were walking out with a big ticket items. That was not a hundred dollar trip. <laughs> That's probably a, a, probably a three to $4,000 trip. I knew that there, there would be some companies that were going to benefit. And, and we see that the, the larger market caps, the larger companies were able to reposition themselves and, and they're pulling everyone else along. The big have gotten bigger without a doubt, in this marketplace. And the market cap of some of these companies has just gotten so large. Apple, for example, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about this going forward, is over $2 trillion right now. That is something that I don't know that I, I would have ever thought of thinking years ago. There's still sectors that are struggling, though. The market's being pulled along by those big five tech names, but banks and energy are down almost 30% each. And about 30% of the S&P 500 is uh, over 40% off their highs. So there's a lot of companies that are still struggling and haven't turned it around yet while we're being pushed along by those big technology names. Well, that's a good point because within the every one of the S&P sectors, there are winners, but there's just not enough for those many of those sectors to be positive for this year. I think we saw something where only three of the S&P sectors are, are actually positive for the year. But that doesn't mean that in the other eight or so that there aren't companies that are positive for the year. So it's very selective. It'll be interesting to see some of the more active funds out there and how they perform for the year. Because it, it's definitely benefited indexers because the portfolios or the, the funds were already pre-selected to have the winners just by size. Yeah, I think that's right. Where This is a market for indexers. Now, that may seem contrarian given that there's certain stocks that are doing well and certain that are less, but the, the difficulty of picking those companies and projecting what they're able to do in a pandemic is, goes beyond most stock pickers' capabilities, I think. So by purchasing the index as your investment vehicle, you are by default including all those companies that have, are doing well. We've mentioned it before, not even just in index investing, though, but we're not trying to time the market. It's impossible to time the market. So if you look at periods like 2000, 2002, the 12 months following the trough, the market was up 36%. If you excluded the five best days, it was actually up 13%. And if you look at 2007, 2009, the 12 months following the trough was 72%. But if you excluded the five best days, it was actually up 35%. So you can't really tell when the best time the market's going to be. It's important to just remain invested. And if you're not comfortable jumping in at that time, that just a dollar cost average into the market, have a, have a strategy to get into the market. Dollar cost averaging has always been one of the primary fundamental uh, approaches towards individuals investing in the marketplace. It's taking a certain amount of money and investing it over equal periods of time allowing for price fluctuations to vary, and thereby you're getting different numbers of shares with each purchase. It doesn't guarantee that you'll get the lowest price, 
but it does guarantee that you'll get the lowest net cost of that investment over a period of time. Right. And we mentioned that our last podcast about the 401ks, how you know you set it up, a payroll deduction, and it just keeps investing That's monthly. a great example. Sometimes it's a little harder when it's after tax or brokerage account when you're actually having to physically set that up and try to time that. So the 401ks, we mentioned, are already set up that way. To transition us down to the next point of the recent market performance, we, we have to think about the vaccine too. I think the market has betted that we'll have a vaccine late this year, early next year. I think that's something that if we didn't get that, that could put us into a reversal a little bit. But there are so many companies that are on on track. I mean, Russia has a vaccine now, right? So <laughs> maybe <laughs> that's what they say. Right now, there's about 170 candidates for, for vaccines that are going through various phases, as they're called, of trials. So you have a pre-trial, then you have phase one, two, and three. Phase three being the broadest phase trial. So in phase three, we right now have about seven, seven different vaccine candidates that are in the widest testing that is occurs prior to it being approved by the FDA. So with this number of candidates and moving along at warp speed, it does look like there's going to be some sort of vaccination slash therapeutics that may come out of this in the very near term. Other thing issue too is talking about just return or income off a portfolio. You're not going to get that out of bonds right now. And so you're naturally going to have funds flowing out of cash into stock, bonds into stock, because any new investment in bonds is really probably more for security than it is for yield. So that that's another reason you're going to have a push up in the market too. Yeah, I think that's a, a real possibility as investors are searching for yield. Interest rates are, again, historic lows. The Fed interest rates between zero and 0.25%. It means that as an investor, it's going to be very difficult to utilize a portfolio and to take only income through coupons and through interest payments in order to get income. So investors are naturally going to look for higher yielding, and they're going to find that in equities right now. Equity pay companies that, that issue equities with dividends, those that are growing their dividends have done very well in the marketplace. And it's not unusual that, that we would see these types of companies that grow their dividends to increase in value as they're being bid up by investors to get that dividend yield. Yet there's still the value versus growth play, right? So value stocks are still underperforming, even though they typically have the higher yield. That's true. They're underperforming relative to growth. And they have for a number of years, but they have, uh, have produced those dividends that investors still like. At the moment, what we're finding is that in the value category of, of investing, the investors are demanding a higher yield in terms of lack of growth that's occurring. So... What they're doing is they've actually bid those prices down. Energy is a great example. Energy, some of the large energy names may be yielding 7 8% on that dividends because that price has been bid down so low in order to bring that yield into an equilibrium that investors are willing to buy into the stock for in order to get an acceptable yield relative to the lack of growth that they're expecting to have. I think the main reason why... The market has rebounded so fast has to do with help from Washington. The stimulus. Yeah, absolutely. I know Matthews has some data on how fast 
the stimulus took place this time. Yeah, well, with the CARES Act, unlike 2008, the Fed really jumped in and decided that this wasn't going to be 2008 all over again when we would get through this. They stepped in and in and, and almost 50 days have provided more stimulus than was provided in over 400 days during the global financial crisis. So that's a pretty significant short amount of time, but significant amount of funding that was taken. One of the different approaches that the administration took relative to stimulating the economy in this crisis versus in the 2007-2008 crisis is that most of the money was designed to go towards and into the pockets, if you will, of workers. Whereas in 2007-2008, most of that money was designed to go into the vaults of banks with the idea that the banks would then stimulate the economy through lending practices. But the banks didn't. So that money really never made it into the money supply. This time, the money supply, M2, has increased by over 25% because that money went directly into the pockets of, of consumers. For example, on the economic impact payments, $1,200 per adult was paid out. $500 per child under age 17. Now, there are certain income restrictions that, that, that occurred on this. That was $270 billion of stimulus that went directly into the, to the bank accounts of consumers for them to use to spend. The CARES Act uh, also had a paycheck protection program. $659 billion was available for companies to borrow and then have that loan actually forgiven if 75% of that money was that loan was used to pay and retain employees. So it kept employees on the payroll. And then there was another $150 billion of the CARES Act that went directly to local governments and districts to offset expenses that they incurred for public health. So a lot of that money, this money was over $2.2 trillion went directly to the people who were going to spend that money, which is very different this time than from the last time. And they also stepped up and did things that were kind of unprecedented. You mentioned liquidity. They stepped in and started the uh, liquidity facilities and started backing ETFs and even high-yield bonds there for a little while before moving into individual bonds, which is what they're trying to do right now. That was unprecedented. Right. They said essentially that we're going to backstop this marketplace no matter the price. And it, what it did is it propped up bond prices and gave investors enough security to continue to invest in lending products such as fixed income. There's no doubt that, just as Matthew said, that we we had the stimulus that came in so fast. But we're also betting on a second round of stimulus that seems to be caught up in um, typical politics between red and blue at this point. If we don't get that stimulus, I, I could see the market react to that. But I, th I think that everyone knows that there's going to be something else that will, that will come along. I mean, the reality is that we've got hardworking families and lower, what I call lower income America, lower to middle that don't have jobs right now. Maybe no fault of their own. They're just in the hospitality industry. This last trip I was just on the lady working the front desk of the hotel was also a lady who brought me the extra towels I needed <laughs> it was uh, the same lady that was putting the breakfast bags together in the morning as you're walking out. So they're running like a one or two person show at a normal hotel. So I think that those people are going to need something or otherwise I think you're looking at about what, 26 million people that could be evicted right. out of their homes. I mean, it, it's a real, we're taking this to the brink. And at the same time, on the flip side, we're trying to deal with the quote, 
handouts, right? And if you keep paying people $600 plus their local, $600 a week plus their local unemployment unemployment insurance, yeah, yeah. at some point, maybe they're like, they just expect to keep getting that check. (laughs) But they still might need some. That's the big issue. You know, that, that ended in July 31st. So this whole month, they haven't resolved that. So regardless of your political views, Republican, Democrat, they kind of need to come together and figure out what's in the best interest of the country and those employees that you mentioned, because a lot of people are struggling and it's going to be something that needs to be addressed here in September when Congress reconvenes. Absolutely. So just to kind of dip our toes in it for the last couple of minutes here, we have an election coming up. That's going to be, (laughs) it's already getting heated. There's so many people that love Trump. There's so many people that absolutely hate Trump. And it's definitely created a very big divide amongst probably families and friends and business colleagues. From an economic standpoint, he has certainly benefited the economy. We got through Corona a lot easier because of having a strong economy. But then we have all the other distractions that I feel like that he's brought that nobody ever defends that. <laughs> so it's going to be very interesting. I just, for me personally, I go back and look at data and say that, man, it, it seems like we have had the best economic results or the best stock market results. Let's say that when we had a Democrat president and Republican house and Senate, but I don't know how, how we even get there this next election to, to have flipped the house to be Republican. I don't think anybody really expects that this go around, but in the end, capitalism is the only thing that has to win. So we'll just have to figure out what the new policies look like if it is a Biden win. And then we're probably going to figure out what the social unrest is if it's a Trump win. And then how's the market going to handle that? I, I don't know. Most of it probably doesn't really affect historically the market until October before the election. So we have a little bit of time to really see how this will affect the market going into the elections, but it'll be interesting to see how things come out. I just don't think that people need to fret over it as much as they as much as they think they do. Well, these long-term averages that are used when setting portfolios and expected returns have already taken into effect changeover in administrations, changeovers in trade deals, changeovers in societal trends, and it's already baked into these long-term capital market assumptions. So making changes to a portfolio based on an election that may or may not affect the future is probably not a great strategy. No, no, especially since we support buying index funds, low-cost index funds Mm -hmm. in your portfolio. So even over 14 different asset classes, you're still going to own 6,700 stocks and 12,000 bonds. So in the end, you own the winners and you, and you own the losers, right? And the winners have clearly filtered to the top over the last few years. You see that in the S&P 500. If you weren't invested, though, then you, you miss out on that. You don't find out till later. So I think you just kind of mentioned what's important is that you have to remain invested regardless, not just if it's Democrat or Republican. Correct. Correct. And my, my point is it doesn't matter right? from a economic standpoint. It it all averages out over the long term, and we see that in the numbers. There's there's no doubt about that. All right. Well, I'm sure it'll be a polarized election this time. I remember the last one. It was half the people asked me, how do I Trump-proof my portfolio? And the other people asked me how to Hillary-proof their portfolio. And I was like, well, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I guess if you own a whole basket of clean tech, 
<laughs> right? Then yeah, you you probably need to figure out which way the election's going. But if you're holding the averages, which over the long term, 99% of the time, those averages are hard to beat. Most mutual fund managers can't even touch it. So that's what we want to focus on. All right, guys, good chat. Appreciate it. See you next time. Wiser Wealth Management Incorporated is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.